Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. All right, we, we took a little break, listeners. A little break. We're resting up this November. We're restoring our vital spooky essences. After, after that grueling, monumentous, cyclopean Halloween discussion that lasted three hours longer than we planned. Um, but do you want to know? Do you want to know both the good and truly terrible news about that episode? Oh, I already know the worst. The worst thing about that episode is just how successful it's been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, for people who don't know, um, our our every Halloween is a very busy time for your noble co-ghosts. Uh, we reviewed the entire Halloween franchise in one episode. It took almost nine hours. Um, and it seems like a lot of you really like that. So all this means is that we're going to have to do something like this again. <laughs> all the, all the, you, 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 dear listeners, you're our, you're our Tobin Bells. You're our jigsaws. And we just, but we're, we're, we're like willingly strapping ourselves into the machine. And then you're like, this time do a 15 hour episode on sleepaway camp one. And like, oh, okay. Okay. Spooky puppet, man. Yeah. Once again, we are willingly strapping ourselves into the device. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess uh, the SAG after strike has also ended. So, uh, yeah, as, as as of today, uh, uh, recording today, incredible news: the SAG after strike um, has been called off. The new SAG contract um, is being worked out. The details that I've seen look absolutely amazing yeah it seems pretty the union seems pretty happy about it seems very beneficial they they won some of those key ai uh points they were fighting for uh yeah absolutely which is which is pretty sick Uh, and also for us means the return of the twin peaks retrospective it, it does indeed it does indeed and we will be bringing back that back in the next few weeks but i think we should take a minute and acknowledge the wga yes um absolutely crushed it sag after uh, one, uh, the UAW also absolutely demolished uh, the big three auto firms. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. It seems like I'm I'm not. I just talk about movies. I just talk about movies on the Internet. But it seems to me there's maybe a pattern emerging here. That's true. That's true. Uh, uh, dubs dubs all around for our media unions. Unfortunately, um, that's where the good news ends, because Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, we have found ourselves back. Uh, we we have this tendency of making really bad decisions where we go, oh, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about a a really bad movie that's got a lot of sequels, and then we end up having to talk about all of the sequels. And uh, last year, another sequel to Saw came out. Wahoo! And and it made a hundred million dollars, and um, I, I hold all of you personally responsible because that means there will be another one coming. There's going to be so many of these, but I guess this is this is kind of the dark truth of horror cinema. And and listeners, listeners, maybe you've seen a horror movie or two in your time, but like most most horror movie franchises, we're we're talking about a lot of bad films. In fact, mostly bad films. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for the Saw franchise, we have all bad films. Yeah. 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 Oops. All mistakes. 
but also enormously profitable ones. And so, dear friends, the 10th installment of James Wan and Lee Wan-El's seemingly never-ending Saw franchise. Of course, uh, James Wan and Lee Wan-El have literally no involvement anymore. Um, but here we are. Here we are again. We're in another decaying industrial unit. Um, and we are once again chained to the wall as a gravelly-voiced character actor tells us that we have to talk about Saw 10. <laughs> um, and so it is... It, uh, I, I am basically the digital tape recorder that has Play Me written on it. Um, and I invite you to push the button and listen to uh, Ash explain <laughs> explain what this latest installment of the Saw franchise is about. So we've never done praises for this, the, the mini-episodes before. This will be the first mini-episode praise. This is also in the rich tradition of Horror Vanguard. Mini-episodes is probably going to be over an hour long. The entirety of the Saw movie franchise is beguiled by a core duality. John Kramer, aka the serial killer Jigsaw, is at once a sadistic killer devoid of a legible moral compass and a secular healer routing out sickness in a diseased world. It's clear what side the film takes. Jigsaw is our hero. He's here to save the wicked from their sins by way of a post-industrial confessional. Jigsaw reminds me a lot of DC Comics' character Batman. A rich guy with a seemingly endless supply of gadgets, resources, and stamina, who thinks he's out there keeping the streets clean, but after applying even an ounce of critical rigor, he breaks down into a conservative fantasy of retributive violence against anyone deemed morally impure. The impulse to cruelty is something every socialist should strive to understand as much as avoid. It is the poisoned pill in the hand of every oppressive system. We will make them pay, whoever they happen to be. Again, to return to Batman by way of a paraphrase, cruelty is the weapon of the enemy. We do not need it. We will not use it. Here I find myself facing something of a problem. I found Saw X, barring a few special effects and Tobin Bell's performance, to be somewhere between boring and outright racist. Not where you want a movie to land for our particular movie review show. I can hear the chiming of Cruelty's bell. I want to put Saw X in the contraption of criticism. I am staring this movie down as I drink my coffee, thinking of all the ways we could eviscerate it. The jokes, the theoretical precision, all building blocks in the same moralized, self-aggrandizing cruelty that I find so repulsive in these films. Yes, there will be jokes, and yes, there will be a critical dissembling of Saw X. But I don't want to be the film's butcher. In the spirit of Harvest Goth, I'm not here to destroy, but to see what can be made out of the denatured parts of a filmic machine that feels designed to turn loneliness and despair into active hatred. I want to take the retributive cruelty of Saw X and transform the machinery of these psychic traps into tools for healing and restoration. If this feels like a silly and insufficient step to take, that's because it is. But how many fools taking foolish steps will it take before we've gone up the mountain and come back down again? With all these, with all the tools and experience needed to heal the world of its suffering. I don't know. I might never know. But I'll never find out unless I try. Join us as we discuss Saw X. Yes. 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 Or maybe Saw 10? I don't really know which way we're taking this one. 
socks 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 this 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 knocked my fucking socks off so i know i know you wanted you wanted to warm us up with with some letterbox reviews uh it's become sort of a tradition that when we're talking about the saw franchise we have to go to the letterbox reviews um uh number one uh three and a half stars watched by jay 28th of september 2023 do not order brain surgery on shine (laughs) great great advice great advice um uh a, a personal standout from the top reviews um three and a half stars uh, this will be Mr. Beast when he runs out of ideas. 67 <laughs> out of 100. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, an- another another great one. Uh, four stars watched by Jacob on the 12th of October. Does John have like a Google Doc of trap ideas somewhere? <laughs> Uh, genuinely my favorite one the last one that I'm gonna share um four and a half stars watched by Jessica on the 28th of September 2023 petition for Timothy Chalamet to play Billy the puppet in the next saw movie <laughs> okay. that would make that, that would make saw XI one of the best saw films possible um yeah this is we have a problem we have a problem here because this is one of the most profitable and by a very long way, the most critically well-regarded of the Saw films. Which, which I, I just want to um, caveat that really quickly. That's, that, that's, that, that's an easy fight, you know. Being, being the most well-received Saw movie, it's not like you're going up against some serious contenders here. Uh, no, no, it's the, not. The, and, this movie could have we, been when we say it's, a, a wall-to-wall roaring failure, and it still would have been maybe the second or third best Saw film. Uh, when we say it's the most critically well received, uh, it has mixed or average reviews. <laughs> like that's the that's the best. That's the best of the best. Oh, oh, saw. <laughs> no, never change, never change, jigsaw. Um, it never will. It ne- it never will. Um, although, uh, uh, although maybe maybe this is this is the kind of disturbing thought. This is so. This was originally supposed to appear before um, Spiral from the Book of Saw. Um, arguably, arguably one of the worst films in the entire franchise. Uh, uh, I, would, I would go because, for the worst. Yeah. But because Chris Rock was sitting right next to the right person at a wedding, uh, he got to do that first. And it was a massive commercial and critical failure. Good. Uh, which is as it should have been because it's awful um which is how uh the kind of twisted pictures team kevin greuter and associates got to kind of go back to the drawing board and as they put it wanted to go back to basics um and i think a good formal point to start off on is there is a very clear difference between this and a lot of the films which were directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, although edited by Kevin Greuter, who directs this one. And I'm like, this is the closest the Saw films have gotten since the first one to having some sense of dramatic restraint, right? I, I just want to be super crystal clear for our listeners here and and for my own, my, myself. I'm grading on the Saw curve here. 
You know, when I say that this movie has a modicum of restraint, I don't mean that this movie has any modicum of restraint. I mean, when compared to Saw as a franchise, this movie does attempt to build some kind of tension. And and it, it does that through effective editing. But we are talking about the Saw films here. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. We are we are still we are grading on the curve. We are grading on the Saw curve. But um, it's it's. Like there are actual there are actual scenes where just people are talking to each other for like the opening forty five minutes of this movie, uh, and, and oh, go on, go on, go on. So, so this is I know now I know way too much about the backstory of these films. This is something that um, James Wan and Lee Wanell talked about when they worked on the first three which was, from their point of view, as the originators of the idea, Saw worked best when it was people in a room talking to each other. Because um, I read an interview where they were putting it, talked about it like this, where they were like, traps only have impact, violence or gore only has impact when there is an emotional cost to it, right? Because you have to have a sense of kind of... uh, investment and connection to the characters who are on screen and so they talk about in the early days there was a lot of conflict between them and producers who wanted more of the traps who wanted more of the kind of spectacle of the gore um and there was a lot of kind of conflict between like what they call character time versus trap time um and genuinely i do think saw is at its best when it's just like two people in a room talking uh and there are scenes like that in this movie yes. and it's good so, so I, I just want to say this movie is amazing up until the exact moment where John Kramer arrives in Mexico. That's where this movie entirely falls apart. Yeah, absolutely. Everything before that. So so this movie opens up with John Kramer, right? Infamous jigsaw serial killer um, who's been dying, who's been on his deathbed of cancer for the last thousand years. Um, he's now officially super dying, right? He's going to be dead in a month. And he's, he's, he's being scanned, and it's so invasive, and he's imprisoned in these medical scanning machines, right? And, and his voice is frail, and his body is weak. You know, he's a dying old man. And we, we see the scene where, like, a hospital janitor is, like, stealing the, the, the watch and the jewelry um, off of the table of a, of a person who's unconscious after some medical procedure. And then it immediately cuts to, to the worst Saw contraption in all the Saw franchises. This, this dude is just tied to a chair, and in, in his left hand is a knob that goes from one to five, and when you turn it up, it breaks one of the fingers on the other hand. Um, and his eyes are hooked up to a vacuum that's going to vacuum out his eyes if he can't turn the dial fast enough. And of course he fails and dies, but, I, but as I was watching that, I was like, "What? A, that's like the weakest saw trap ever. You just crank that baby to five, go get your hand set, and punch Jigsaw on the way out. Like, the man's losing his touch. And then it cuts. It was a fantasy. It's it's this feeble old man trying trying to to relive his. It's it's John Kramer, you know, like put putting on his high school football Letterman jacket for the final time, having a fantasy about scoring one more touchdown." as his body gives out and his mind dies, right? And then he's in a support group for, for people with late-stage cancer. And I I was so convinced for a brief moment that this whole movie was going to be a dying jigsaw trying to relive his glory days, but but losing, losing touch, unable to catch the football. That is the contraption. 
And that would have been just, that wouldn't have been just a great Saw movie. That would have been a legitimately great movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I could, as, and I, I think this brings up a good question because the the film kind of loses its thread as soon as John arrives in Mexico. Actually, uh, as soon as it's, as soon as the realization happens, the big twist is, of course, uh, for people who don't know, John Kramer goes out to Mexico to have this super secret sounds too good to be true miracle treatment for his cancer um it is obviously too good to be true he's being scammed by people uh which brings up maybe my favorite line in the entire film which doesn't include doesn't occur until the very end and we will get to um and he decides to take his revenge he decides to take bloody stereotypical john kramer revenge on all the people involved um and so this this brings up the question to me of like what genre of film are we dealing with? What's how do we how do we begin to taxonomize these films? The, or, or rather, this film specifically. So, I, I mean, like as always, when we're discussing genre, like we we have to kind of do do the proper left theoretical thing, and that's juggle like several competing ideas simultaneously. Genre is a marketing construct. You're gonna you're gonna shelve the Saw movie in the horror shelf because that's where the Saw movie gets shelved because that's how you can sell these things. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what, what I what I will like, there's something about the Saw movies that feel like a contemporary conservative passion play to me, right? Like this this should be this has a religious quality to it, but it also has this mm-hmm. like. The, the the Saw movies are also like kind of comedic at their core, you know, because because yeah. just as when you're watching a slasher movie, you're you're shouting like, "Why the hell are you standing there? Just run," you know, as as people kind of just mingle about while while Jason picks them off, even though he doesn't run. No, Jason runs. Michael doesn't run. Um, <laughs> we know that now. <laughs> we, we more than most know that now. But we get the, we get a line in this one where every, everybody is everybody's in the saw contraptions, which are all in the same room, which I thought was a cool twist. Um, and and one of them disembowels someone who just got beheaded by a contraption, and then like removes their intestines and is like, everyone else is like, "Ew, what are you doing?" And then she's like, in, in like the most action movie phrasing possible, she's like, "We have a rope." And then, and then, like they 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 like throw it around, and like the, the, a guy has to catch like a ball of intestines, and he's like, Ugh, and it makes like a squishy sound, Ew, icky. <laughs> and then, like everybody's throwing the intestines around because they're trying to rope this table closer because it's got a phone on it, and they can try and call for help. And I, and I'm like, this this is the most like wacky series of events. Like this is this is like slapstick comedy. This is like a scary movie bit. Yeah, yeah, you know, like it's it's just missing it's just missing them doing increasingly ridiculous things with the rope, like like rock climbing or like little kids jump roping or something. Uh, yeah, could not agree more. Couldn't agree more. What about uh, you? It is. Well, here's my here's my uh, kind of hot take. The reason that this feels in in some way, as the critics would say, a return to form is because it does what the what Spiral and Jigsaw didn't do, um, which is realize that the Saw films are, at core, uh, soap operas. Mm-hmm. 
this is a very special episode. That's what that's what this is. <laughs> right? That's what this entire film is. This is it's a it's a very special episode. We're doing a spe- it's a feature length thing. We're tackling the issues. Um and it's going to be very meaningful for a lot of the audience because, mm-hmm. you know, uh and I I I think it's a complete it's always a complete mistake uh to treat the saw films seriously. Uh they don't deserve that. Um, you shouldn't do it. It makes you look rather, rather silly. Because th- these films are, uh, and have always been, the new metal soap opera. Um, and this one is the very special episode where you're dealing with, you're dealing with a capital I issue. And the issue is like mortality and cancer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so... It, I'm I'm sort of like okay we're doing we're doing what like Saw Six did, where it's like it's gonna be it's gonna be a really cutting thing about the healthcare crisis, and you're like no it's not this is Saw what are you talking about? And and it's totally within the realm of plausibility that a Saw movie could one day tackle serious medical issues, and in fact this this the Saw franchise would be like ideal for these conversations. It feels primed for them. But the the closest the closest thing to the Saw film genealogically is like Days of Our Lives, like that's like, that's what it's it's days it's it's new metal Days of Our Lives it's new metal like Coronation Street, uh it's 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 kind of completely medically inaccurate it's full of the most ridiculous sentimentality it's full of like overblown melodrama and like cheap emotional twists often involving children. Um, it's it's all there. This is this is as as all of the Saw films are when they're at their best, a soap opera. That's what this is. I I think that that is spot on. And like and like I'm I, I, I kind of say that like it's a mistake to take them the films at, f- at face value, and I sort sort of agree with that. But also, as anyone who kind of studies popular culture will tell you. The, the 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 most popular popular culture is always almost incoherently honest about its ideological commitments and the same is absolutely true of the saw films and so one this is making me i really want a new metal charmed if if anyone if anyone out there can do that for me i I'd, I'd just be pretty i don't really have any money to give anyone i'd be pretty grateful <laughs> um and two like this 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 begs a discussion of a related uh, a program to the Saw franchise. Then another soap opera, if you will, uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah, because what do you do when you're doing the very special episode? You gotta you've gotta like put your car you gotta put your cast in a brand new location, um, and we are no longer in the rain and very cold blue and gray and brown palette of like industrial estates and is, decaying fac- factories. Do we know where Saw is from? We have gone from? to Mexico. I'm forgetting now. Do we, do we know where Jigsaw lives? I, I, I'm getting I, New Jersey. I'm, I'm, he's giving New Jersey. I, I would agree. I would agree. But I don't know if that's ever can. Like, can we? Can we just just really? Quickly? It's been it's been so long, listeners. I have legitimately forgotten. It's it's not like Halloween where every three seconds someone says Michael Myers is from Haddonfield, comma Illinois. I have I I, I want to say is it New Jersey. He's he's giving me like, I don't know. Where does he live? Does anyone know where Jigsaw lives? 
but I, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you that uh, he's giving New Jersey. But we, because it's a very special episode, um, we transpose our setting to Mexico. And oh boy. Here's, yeah, here's where, so so Jigsaw may have fantasized about a dial one through five that breaks fingers, but uh, the people behind this movie were fantasizing about a dial one through five that increases the racism. Yeah, so uh, because we're in Mexico, the film is overwhelmingly yellow. It's it's like they use the the Breaking Bad in Mexico yellow yeah, filter. We, we put on the Global South filter, or or the Middle East filter, or anywhere that not white people live filter, just to let you know that things are dusty and and grimy and a little sickly. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I I get it. Whoever the DP was on Saw Ten. You really loved uh, Denise Villeneuve's Sicario, <laughs> but like, uh, can we can we not <laughs> can we not do that? And and it's just like it is glaringly racist, and 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 like the construction of this movie makes it more racist. And we'll get into that when we start talking about John Kramer's victims in this film. But it is it is the second I saw that happened, I was like, oh god, he's gonna. This this is Jigsaw in Mexico. He is just going to be like killing a bunch of Mexican people uh, with under a yellow filter sun. And the thing the thing that fucking killed me about the yellow filter where I was watching it, it I mean like the the thing that really drives home how racist it is. So the the, the sham doctor that's running uh, uh, the Hollywood upstairs brain surgery clinic, like she's <laughs> she's Norwegian or something. Right, like, like I yeah, she's Norwegian. Yeah, she's, Norwegian. She's, she's very Scandinavian. Yeah, and, and so so white as white as you could possibly be, right? Um, and when when we're indoors with her, yellow filter off. Like like oh oh okay, we've got we've got a white lady indoors on screen. Get rid of that yellow filter, everybody. And it's just like when you see it flickering on and off in between shots, it is just like ridiculously obvious and like. I don't know, like, like the, the, and again, like this is exactly where the movie starts falling apart because it's like, oh shit, yellow filter, like this is, this is a level of racism that like would have been crass in like a post nine eleven war movie. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's, I think that's true. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not good. It's not good. And I get that they, 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 they filmed it in Mexico City. They filmed on location. But Mexico, um, Mexico City doesn't have a giant yellow dome floating over it or something. <laughs> it really doesn't. And and they, from what I can make out, it does seem that, like, they really like... Um, they re- In effect, this is Sword doing a telenovela. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, no, this would have... I, I, I have a soft spot for telenovelas, and this would have been fucking amazing if they would have committed... J- J- Jigsaw needed needed like okay if Jigsaw fell in love with our Scandinavian con woman because she's also kind of creating traps for people and you know what in the spirit of Saw it's your own damn fault if you're dumb enough to fall for these traps and John Kramer should have looked her in the eyes and been like a kindred spirit I love you yeah I mean I I hate it I hate it so much it's the worst thing about the cinematography because like they genuinely do calm down on the frantic cutting and it is it is deployed only when there's a trap sequence and it and as a result it's a lot more effective um but like here's the other thing 
we've discussed in previous films that John Kramer can basically do everything, right? He's an architect, he's a civil engineer, he's an inventor, uh, he is a master logician who can plan out how someone's going to behave. But you know what the one thing he can't do is, before he gets on a plane, he cannot download Duolingo and maybe learn some Spanish. And <laughs> It's a major plot point. It's a major plot point that he is <sighs> incapable of learning another language. <laughs> Every everything about this movie is 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 kind of scathingly racist in the accidental liberal way, and and that that is just like like we we have we have this touching scene where a, l- a little Mexican boy who's for some reason riding his bike around the Scandinavian pretend hospital, and and oh he breaks the tire on his bike and John Kramer uses his evil jigsaw powers to help a little boy fix his bike, <laughs> and this is this is just like. This is like Leatherface using using the powers that he learned, making a mask out of human skin to like help a little kid repair a rip in their jeans or something. Like it's like that's meant to be touching. That's meant to ingratiate us to John Kramer. But I'm like this this man is a is a mass killer with no remorse. Like I'm not yeah, I'm not I mean, becoming there is, sympathetic. There is, there is fundamentally. There is fundamentally a kind of contradiction here. Actually, the entire film is riven with contradictions, which reveal it's the ideological base of the superstructure that produced it. And the big one is, like all good protagonists in a slasher film, event on a long enough timeline, right, every antagonist of the slasher film becomes the protagonist. And it becomes more interesting to watch Jason or Freddy than it does to watch the people that they murder. Um, And this is that film for the Saw franchise. And they spend a huge amount of time in the front half of this film trying to humanise John Kramer, trying to make him kind of relatable. And I'm like, it's a great performance by Tobin Bell. Tobin Bell, as always, fucking crushes. Yeah, it's beautiful. And is is, is so embarrassingly far ahead of everybody else on screen in terms of his performance. Because he just commits, but it's like, why do we like the thing that frustrates me is like, why do you need to humanize? Like, let a monster be a monster, right? John Kramer is not a good person, and that's fine because he's still interesting to watch. And I, I think that's the thing, though, because these movies think that John Kramer is a good person. Even previous Saw movies think that John Kramer is, if not outright morally correct in what he does, at the very least, deeply sympathetic. You know, like yeah. this, and, this movie, and that's their mistake. these movies are reactionary and they play on this kind of punitive desire for like, we, we've, we've all been cut off in traffic and thought to ourselves, gee whiz, I would like to strap that man's eyeballs to a shop vac. Like, and th- this is yeah. the Saw movies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know, um, I know you wanted to talk about Donald Pleasance. Yeah, I mean, this is my this is my point of connection here, which is that uh, I I I unironically think Tobin Bell does an incredible job in this movie, um, and my only kind of touchstone point of comparison is Tobin Bell is to the Saw franchise as Donald Pleasance was to the Halloween franchise, a a phenomenally gifted character actor who had spent the majority of their career in horror rather than getting the kind of mainstream attention they maybe deserved, um, who committed fully to the bit of their character, took it very seriously, 
um, and who managed to elevate what is often very pedestrian or reactionary or poorly written material into something at, at worst interesting to look at. No, I, I, I mean, like, like I'm, I mostly agree with that. I, I think <sighs> Tobin Bell is direly misused in these Saw films. And, and I would love for more Tobin Bell and more better movies than kind of just uh, what we're going to get is like another five Saw movies with Tobin Bell in them. And and Tob- Tobin Bell just telling people about how, oh, you shouldn't be a pickpocket. That's why I'm cutting your legs off. And uh, I just want I want more. I want more. And there are moments where that kind of like we come close to that. But what we what we get is like. We get like a a a cancer melodrama for half an hour, and then the film forgets about any interesting character choices. Um, the film also kind of forgets that he's immediately dying of cancer. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> like he's he is he's dying in like a matter of weeks. He's and and, and like in, in the beginning we establish how like frail and exhausted and like. This is this is an older man losing the battle to to uh, an, an incredibly difficult to fight advanced disease, and you know like the the second he realizes the surgery was a sham, which I, I want to talk about that for a second too because that is just infuriating. Like the the second he realizes he's been conned, he, he it's it's like Popeye eating his spinach. The second he's like. I have I have a lust <laughs> for so life. Good. I, I, I can see the vision of traps in my mind again. You know, he opens the window and he starts singing and all the little cartoon birds alight on his shoulders. Uh, can we can we talk about maybe one of my favorite moments in the entire film, which is just John Kramer enjoying the warmth of the sun, sitting on a park bench, idly sketching murder traps in his notebook. Just doodling ways <laughs> of how to kill people. It's so good. <laughs> like like this is this is like the Jeffrey Dahmer Netflix series, you know, where people are just like fawning after this like grotesque serial killer. I just uh, so, so oh, God, so really good. quickly when 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 Mr. Jigsaw is so so he has he has the fake brain surgery, right? And like as as they're putting him under, he's like looking at the 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 TV screen where they're operating on his brain. And and they like incredibly shadily turn turn the monitor away so he can't see it, and that's oh that's our big clue that something's wrong. But you know for the next couple of days he's fine and he's taking in his medicine and he's got his head all wrapped up, and like, okay, I I I've had I've had surgery. It's kind of hard to not notice that you've had surgery after a surgery. You're feeling kind of sore, you know, you've got an open wound that's been stitched or stapled shut. How, 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 like, like, and this, this is one of the parts of the movie that just kind of lost me. Like, I can get how he could have been conned, right? And how they could have made, like, a fake incision on the back of his head and then sewed that up so he thought he was, like, injured or whatever. But there's, they didn't even, like, make an incision and then stitch it back up just to, like, make him think he was injured. Like they just wrapped his head in a band-aid and, and, and told him that he, he had to leave it on because he's hurt. Like what would he not have like been like, oh, that's weird. My head feels entirely normal and fine. Like it, not to be like a little plot hole thing, but like this kind of speaks to the movie losing its thread with the whole cancer thing that it kicks off with. 
Like, it's just as fake as the fake head dressing he wears in the text of the film. Uh, it's un- it's unbelievable. It's unbelievably silly. And the reason that he works out he's been he's been had is that he finds, like, the DVD that they'd put on the monitor, and it's like, Fraudulent Brain Surgery, Volume 13. <laughs> It's it's literally Dr. Nick from The Simpsons doing, like, a brain surgery tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Please call me John. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and then he's like, oh, my God. Okay, like, the the DVD, like, it, it has some, like, really simple, like, weird, it's like brain surgery in you or, like, brain surgery tip number seven. It was, like, the most silly, like... And it and it wasn't the fact that he has no incision on its head. It's like he finally puts it together when he sees the the DVD. And I'm just, I don't know, I don't know. This movie falls there's, off the rails pretty hard. <laughs> there's, there's, it's. Oh my goodness! It's been 38 minutes. Um, there's one final thing we have to talk about is that the franchise decides to bring back a couple of supporting characters. Um, Shawnee Smith is back. Uh, doesn't have nearly enough to do, gets put in an absolutely awful Bob haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, Amanda slays, uh, never did anything wrong. Uh, precious <laughs> angel. We 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 stand. We love Amanda. Um, they also bring back the man, the myth, the legend, Costas Mandalore. The horror Vanguard's favorite footballer. Um, I that my favorite line in the entire film is his one line of dialogue, which is in the in the mid credit scene, <laughs> where he says, "Out of all the men to cheat, you pick John Kramer. I call that epic bad luck." I'm like, "Oh my god, you're so Reddit. You're so Reddit." <laughs> Whoa! And and I just like as I was watching that, I was like, Amanda died, right? Costas Mandalore died, right? Am I not? Am I losing my mind? And of course, this movie, like, it's kind of a reboot. It doesn't really care about its own history. Oh no, no. So, so this movie takes place directly after Saw One. So before we've been properly introduced to Costas Mandalore. Hey, I I appreciate the drive to have a have a more convoluted uh, franchise timeline than than Halloween. Like that that is that is a goal to aspire to for sure. Um, but yeah, he he, Detective Hoffman turns up. Um, he is looking tired and exhausted and unhappy to be there. Uh, and he has the most Reddit single line well, it's, ever. It's because it's a Marvel um, movie. You get your mid credit scene where they yeah, tease the, the hero for the next film. Yeah, it's the Saw Cinematic Universe. I, I honestly think that, that David Greiter didn't want to do it because he says it's the most fan service thing the franchise has ever done, and he's correct. And, that, and that's saying something for a movie that wheels out a puppet on a tricycle every single film. Okay, important question. Important formal question. Did he have... Did he pack Billy the Puppet with him? <laughs> did he make a new... This... Or did he make a new one when he's in Mexico? This, this is what I was thinking, right? Because like he clearly brought his little notebook because he's like, oh, I'm going to recover and I'm going to spend some time in Mexico City and I'm going to doodle some traps. I'll be healthy again. You know, but then I'm like, okay, like you got you got to have to have stuff for your saw traps, right? Like you, you just kind of like winged, winged it and put it all together. And like, sure, some of it is like scavenged medical technology. But then like, why? 
why does the scam medical clinic that has to move after every scam surgery yeah, have wh- a real x-ray yeah why machine? do they have nerve gas why why do they have nerve gas can we how, how did you make the it's nerve just, gas just, <laughs> this movie increasingly becomes just so desperately convenient and everything is happening because it just it just this is how a saw movie works and it needs to happen we're yeah. not going to ask any questions about I, anything this is just a saw film and like i will say my favorite shot is the is like Billy the Puppet POV shot when we do our like wish.com brain surgery that they did better in that Hannibal movie. Yep. Amazing. Where Billy just like wheels in and then you get the POV shot on the tray of medical supplies. I was like, yes, to me, that's cinema. And, and even, even like all, all these people who are saw trapped too, like, yeah, they were involved in a scam, but like one of them is, one of them is a taxi cab driver. We, we don't really know the career backgrounds of the others, but these are kind of just like random people from Mexico City. They're not like diehards in allegiance to the Scandinavian woman's brain surgery con scheme. And like the, the movie never stops to ask the question like, okay, like what economic pressures would cause a normal person to sign up with something unethical for work? Oh, oh my God, we hang on. We haven't even talked about when... Uh, okay, okay, we have to talk about this before we, before we close up this episode. John Kramer gets off of the plane in Mexico, gets into a taxi cab. The, 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 the cab drives him out of Mexico City in, into some forlorn, yellow-tint, deserty town. And then, and then, and then an unmarked uh, van pulls up full of, like, you know, like, uh, hooded militants with guns. And they, they kidnap John Kramer. And... and because we're in Mexico. Because yeah, we're in Mexico, we're in and that's Mexico. what's going to happen to you if you're white and you go to Mexico City. Is you're going to get kidnapped by by some kind of cartel, and like this whole movie is playing off of racist stereotypes, right? We've got the yellow filter. We we've got like like cons coming out of Mexico. We've got the whole like playing on the, the oh they'll steal your kidney thing. Like the, the this is just like the hit reel for like racist stereotypes of visiting Mexico and Mexico City. With no attempt to to grapple with like any real political material or even like emotional condition for these people, and and we're supposed to be fawning over like John Kramer and oh Amanda's back and oh there's Costas, like th- this is why I'm like these movies are just reactionary, right? Like, am I being too hard here? Uh, no, I, I I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think I think it's important to treat them. To treat them with the level of seriousness that they formally deserve. And it's like, uh, they are reactionary, but in the same way that soap operas are. Right? That that's so are they are they is this kind of like is this kind of like deliberate um deliberate kind of like right wing propaganda cinema? No. Um they are reactionary in the same way that the kind of like uh liberal like uh, the liberal uh, stew of postmodern culture truly is, um, and that's what's so revealing about them. Ooh, that's a perfect place to end this one. We'll actually have some kind of mini, mini episode. This is actually an actual rare mini mini episode. Oh no! Do, do, do we want to stop there? Do oh, stop do you there? want to keep going? Like uh, we have not. We've not done like the the oh. saw philosophy zone. 
Oh yeah, we uh, okay. Well, yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. This is no longer a mini episode. Yeah. So so okay. Here's my theory. Here's my theory about them. Right. So the 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 Saw franchise is done by this team basically concerned the antinomies and contradictions of a certain kind of liberal modernity um, pre-COVID. And I think, if anything, this film serves as an elegy, a sort of like nostalgic throwback by the filmmakers to a time when those antinomies and contradictions were not nearly so explicit. And so there is some awareness within the text of these films that these films have always been reactionary, have always been extremely... um, dismissive of those with mental health problems or with addiction issues uh, or with health issues. Uh, But they transpose this out of America now, right? For two reasons. Firstly, the industrial center of America that was decaying in 2008 to 2016 doesn't really exist anymore. uh, Thanks to the necrotic neoliberalism that these these films explore the sovereignty of. Uh, So where do you do it? You you put it in the maquiadoras. You put it in the, you put it in the, in, in the kind of neoliberal free trade zone of NAFTA, Mexico. But here's the thing. Roberto Bolaño already talked about this in 2666 in a way that's much more politically insightful and actually much more explicitly feminist. Because who is it that suffers in the Machiadores? Who is it, who is it that suffers in this the NAFTA free trade free trade ar- arrangement? It's it's like could you have tried to do a saw film where you actually dealt with something like um the femicide of Cita Juarez, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that would be cool. That would be possible. But you can't do that because it's a soap opera. So it has to be subjectivized. It has to be uh, depoliticized. So its politics become like reactionary sort of like background radiation that you then blast at the uh, poor, innocent sex worker's face, um, <laughs> which is maybe the worst. Uh, it's deeply unpleasant how they how they treat that character. So it's like, yes, if 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 neoliberalism was necrotic, a decade ago, right? And it was withering away in the former industrial heartland. Uh, the factories are now completely... They've been redeveloped. All the factories that John Kramer used to own have now been turned into condos and, like, microbreweries. So you have to you have to outsource your decrepit factories to the industrial... to, to, to the global south. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like it's, it's really telling that they, they move saw to Mexico. And I'm only like, and on one level, like, I'm sure like a lot of the Mexican actors that popped up in this movie, like, I'm sure for a lot of them, this is their big breakout American film. And I hope that this like, some of them become Saw favorites and get brought up into other movies because like it's Saw, nobody dies anymore. You can just bring back whoever you want. It doesn't matter. Um or at least like it, it fuel they got good paychecks, it fuels their careers. Like we shouldn't like not look at that. But it's also like Dear fucking God, like the way they treat Gabriella in this film, like is just appalling. Like the way the way they treat like all of the women who get saw trapped is just the most like unnecessarily grotesque and over the top ways of killing people and mutilating their corpses. Yeah, like, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of uh, Saw 3. So Saw 3 follows Jeff, who has lost his child. Um, and like, I'm so proud that you can remember what happened in any of those movies. And so, like, well, the first trap that Jeff sees is, like, a woman who saw what happened but didn't testify, I think. 
and she's she's naked and she's sprayed with cold water until she freezes to death and it's super gross it seems super exploitative um and like even by the standards of the saw film it leaves a very kind of bad taste in the mouth because this is a role that exists solely for you to be then objectified and then murdered like in the same scene uh and like how they treat gabriella just reminded me of that and i'm like yeah, it's always been it's always been a strain within the Saw film, right? This kind of casual, objective, objectifying misogyny. I, I have I have a kind of hot take about the Saw franchise that just came to me now in in a vision as of prophecy. Every single Saw movie wishes it was I spit on your grave. All of these movies desperately wish that they could have the intensity, the brutality, and the kind of salient political messaging as I spit on your grave, but they they're just playing to these kind of like center right fears. We're get, we're gonna get like, like 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 J- Jigsaw is is gonna be like, you took the dollar bill out from underneath your windshield, but you should have known better. Like these these are pod these are horror movies aimed at the true crime audience. Yeah, oh, yes, and we've talked about this before, right? And this places it within a completely different libidinal economy to something like I Spit on Your Grave. Mm-hmm. Yep, and gives like an entirely different modulation to the idea of revenge and justice because. Very whether you think it's successful or not, that is the issue that something like um I Spit in Your Grave or the broader field of what rather crassly gets referred to as the rape revenge film is dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's about the two twin issues, the the kind of dialectical interrelation of revenge and justice. And are those two things mutually exclusive? And if they're not mutually exclusive, can you resolve the contradictions between them? Saw is like it's revenge for the guy who cut in front of you at the coffee shop. Right. That's, yeah. that's the mm-hmm. level of revenge. And so and it, there is there is I, I, I absolutely agree with you that there is a kind of reactionary impulse. But I think more extreme than that, unlike I think there is a reactionary impulse in something like I Spit on Your Grave, but in something like Saw, there is an implicit and often overlooked fascist impulse. I I, I think that is the best way of articulating that because you can approach I spit on your grave as through a kind of like, you know, like left feminist lens, right? Like there are, there are, there are successful ways of reading that movie from those theoretical standpoints. And it's not a movie that you need to like recuperate with theory. It's, it's a movie that just has that as one of its complex and very messy potentials in the saw franchise. (laughs) I, I think we just have these kind of like proto-fascist ideas kicking around that like, and, and it's so telling who all these victims are, right? And it's yeah. so telling yeah. how, like, because our, like, consider, consider kind of like the material construction of our saw traps, if you will. I've taken off my glasses and I'm gesturing behind me to a chalkboard upon which I've drawn <laughs> Seth Lynn, the, lect- the lecture begins here. My uh, the first contraption, dear listener, is uh, if you if you are daring enough to type in Patreon.com/slash/HorrorVanguard, uh, you can be saw trapped into supporting the show for now. What is like one third of the cost of a cup of coffee a month? So remember that old Patreon shout out from back when everybody started a Patreon. Like it's not even the cost of a cup of coffee anymore. You can't even get anything for for like three bucks now, except for this show. Shrug. Um, yeah a cup of coffee will be out of your system in four hours we did an episode that was nine hours of entertainment (laughs) yeah what we do stays with you forever um no but like let's let's look at the let's look at the construction for a second if you will um 
And so, so we have uh, a young Mexican man who's our taxi cab driver. Um, his, his, his hands are destroyed with a jigsaw trap. And we see this brutally on screen as he tries to like Edward 40 hands, but with scalpels, his arms off to get rid of pipe bombs. Um, we have another young Mexican woman who is trapped to a beheading machine. And in a traditional saw trap, uh, saw trap, yeah, you'd have to cut your leg off and then you get out. But no, now you have to cut your leg off and like insert a vacuum into your bones that sucks out your marrow <laughs> in like a minute. And that's somehow reasonable. Like, like we've gone off the rails. But not only do we watch that, we watch her cut her leg off, watch her siphon out marrow, watch her get beheaded when she fails. Um, but then, But then the white woman who actually owns this business guts her and uses her intestines as a jump rope. Right. And then then we get it, another young Mexican woman strapped to a, a goofy contraption that that burns her face off with radiation. And then she is shot because she is not dead. She actually escapes the saw trap on Jigsaw's terms, even though it's another like overthought contraption that is like not very the good Jigsaw traps don't rely on like manual dexterity for you to beat. They rely on you pushing through some horrifying punishment. Think of the classic crawl through the barbed wire puzzle. Yeah, or the walk across uh, the broken best, glass stuff. The, the traps in this one are a lot more complicated, but I don't think that makes them better. Um, no, no, that, that makes them worse in the text of Saw because now, like, now, now they're requiring you to do things that go above and beyond. Like, if you cut your own leg off, there's no way you're going to be able to operate the bone marrow siphon. <laughs> like, like you're going to be like just completely destroyed by the time you're like, like they're so unfair this time. Yeah, yeah. And th- that adds important context, right? Because she gets killed and then like this happens again and again and again. All of the Mexican actors, we see them brutally die on screen. Their corpses get mutilated. It's horrific. Uh, the white woman dies off screen. Presumably. Honestly, it, again, it it genuinely feels like a bit from a Roberto Bolaño short story of like the two, like the two European psychopaths who have their links to fascism who end up in... Uh, Mexico and end up taking their violence out on the the bodies of the poor and the and those who are desperate for some of the, their American dollars. It's like I'm sure I've read this in 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 the Savage Detectives or in 2666. Yeah, no, like 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 John John Kramer would have been like I I, I don't know. Let let's just say a German that for you know undisclosed reasons moved to South America sometime in the late 1930s or early 40s, changed his last name, started a career as a doctor because he had a medical background, but won't tell you exactly how he got that background back in Germany. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so it's like why do you watch this whole film? What are you watching for? And it's like in certain other kinds of revenge thrillers, you're watching for this idea of the underdog triumphing, right? Even so, uh, even something which I think is is kind of a reactionary movie, like um, Straw Dogs from the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a deep, it's a deeply reactionary film, but it's a power fantasy that that works because you have your kind of good, nebbish liberal who can't you know the the kind of lib cuck who can't defend his home has to like man up and like become violent too like that's the power fantasy there's an arc right there's a there's a you go from point a and you go upwards to point b Saw, on the other hand like john kramer is physically frail but the film forgets that after 45 minutes and then is it's still basically a super genius so so your your power fantasy is that you are superior from point one 
and you get to be you get to embody your superiority with violence and that's what i mean when i say that there is a kind of incipient fascist impulse yes. in these films because yes, there is yes. no there is no arc right because the film doesn't doesn't really remember that john is a frail dying man in which case his struggle with the doctor who who maybe could outwit him has some stakes to it right but like the only thing that we get midway through the film is he goes oh i get headaches now and it's like no you're supposed to be dying right you're supposed to be and you're supposed to be making mistakes but even, yes but it doesn't he have that line where it's like one way or another everything is going to work out as planned it's like oh so there is no there is no there is no arc of power here there is no power fantasy you were powerful from the beginning and you got to embody your power through the committing of violence ooh okay okay i want i want to i want to nuance this slightly by returning to the precy john kramer is batman right in certain comics and at certain points in batman's history he has been just a man with martial arts training and a bunch of expensive toys and and all, all of the limitations of, of that description are are incumbent upon him right he can be beaten physically by anyone stronger than him he can be outsmarted by smarter villains and this happens but by and large batman is invincible and immortal and and he has pre perfect precognition of everything that happens because nothing escapes his planning and his sight. John Kramer is the same way, yeah. right? You you, yeah. you could throw John Kramer into a meat grinder, and oh, it wouldn't have been John Kramer. It's it's someone else that got thrown in there instead. Yeah. But like the thing, the thing that's kind of useful about this film is that at the very least. Uh, and I think it, spe- it speaks to some of the problems in ca- kind of like the the broader like cultural liberal milieu that this film exists within. At the very least, it's aware of its own hypocrisies in a way that previous films kind of tried to gloss over. But uh, but the problem is, it doesn't really know what to do with those hypocrisies because to really properly address them would require John Kramer to do two things, which he can't do, which is one, admit that he's wrong, and two, change. He can't do either of those. So, like, there, are, there's moments where Amanda is like, hey, maybe, maybe addiction is real and poverty means that people can be exploited. And the, the film's defense is, is laughable. The film's defense is, well, she had free will. And you're like, seriously? Really? <laughs> what is with these damn movies? So I think it's, I think the, the, the point is, is like, it's not to endorse it, but the point is, is like, it's instructive that like the films are able to admit that there is a degree of hip right? Isn't that what she says to him? A, a lecture on morality from you of all people? Yeah. John Kramer is a hypocrite and that's been obvious from the very, oh, I've never killed anybody. Oh yeah. Fuck off. What are you talking about? But it's like, you can't really do anything other than acknowledge the problem, right? You're incapable of actually solving it because that would mean that John Kramer would have to change. And the only way that John Kramer can change is by dying. Or or the the money behind these movies, uh, uh, you know, like an, an escape from capitalism where movies aren't made based on some kind of projected return on investment. They're made by artists trying to do something instead of artists trying to do something in spite of that very investment. Like, like I, I'm still, there's a scene in the beginning of this movie where a dying John Kramer is just lying on a couch in his dimly lit apartment. 
just kind of waiting for it to happen. Like, like an old dog that knows his time is over. He's just sitting in the dark waiting for the Reaper to show up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like beautiful. Tobin Bell's acting is fantastic. Uh, yeah, then, we've been very critical, but unironically, Tobin Bell is fucking amazing in this movie. He's, in the first half, he's so good. And the second half, the second he gets to Mexico, he has nothing to work with. And he's just returning to this typecast that he's got. But like all of that criticism against him, the oh, from you of all people, is, is coming from another psycho killer. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it doesn't it doesn't actually land as kind of a self-aware metacriticism because it's two people who create elaborate scenarios to trap people that they find to be gullible or, or whatever. Like, like they're, they're mirrors of each other. And the movie doesn't, like, know what to do with that because you can only have one Tobin Bell because yeah, he's your I, Batman. I, I, I mean, the argument is, what if Jigsaw caught Jigsaw, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the premise. Um, and I don't, intuitively, I don't hate that. I think there is something it's to cool it. It's a cool premise. It's a cool premise. But you you can't have Jigsaw lose, right? Um, you just can't. Because otherwise you you have allowed for... You've allowed Jigsaw to be the thing which he can't be, which is human, right? Is to be fallible, is to be flawed. Mm-hmm. Because we've got to the point where now Jigsaw is the protagonist and therefore has to overcome. And this idea of like a dying man confronting the kind of like chronic failures of his own moral system is quite a powerful dramatic idea oh very much so um there's there's one thing i want to talk about which is like how this film popular culture talks about cancer let's do it let's do it i think that's a good way to close out the episode so there's the the thing that i cancer as a disease is often talked about in terms of like battles Mm-hmm. um you you lose your fight and deliberately or not um i think a, a lot of the way that we talk about it you basically oh you lost because you didn't fight hard enough and it's like it's very curious that there are very few other physical illnesses that we do that kind of discourse with um i mean this isn't an original point i'm pretty sure like susan sontag talks about this um but i just think it's i think it's curious that like of all the things that John Kramer has, it's the thing that, you know, American liberal ideology would go, well, you can get better if you try hard enough. And that's his philosophy on being in his traps, right? If you want to live, you will just work harder. Yeah. You lost your battle. It's because you didn't want to live, you know? John Kramer supports work requirements for Medicaid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you what do you think about how these films kind of treat the idea of cancer as a as a as an organizing and kind of structuring discourse? I mean, I mean, these, the whole the whole point of John Kramer having cancer is to do two things. One, it, it sympathizes the audience to him a little bit, and and on top of that, it's the same kind of like disability pornography and fetishism that we see in like any horribly offensive and ableist like. Like, oh, that boy in a wheelchair did it after all. It's that, it's that exact same attitude, but this time it's for Jigsaw. You know, yeah, that, it's, again, it's like, oh, in spite of everything, he conquered it. Yeah, it's why I sort of think of it as like, as a soap opera. Mm-hmm. You know, the melodrama of, of 
oh, someone, someone's dying, they're losing their fight with this, and it's like, no, like, people, people don't die because they didn't work hard enough against a disease, right, that's a, there's, there's a kind of really troubling biopolitics to that assumption, like, you know, human finitude is something of a problem, even for Jigsaw, right, you, it's, it's inexplicable, so you have to have this idea of, like, well, if you if you had manifested, then maybe that wouldn't have happened to you. And it's like, no, sometimes sometimes death happens and human agency is nothing in the face of it. And that's terrifying. Yeah, no, like that's and, and this is the whole thing with with the entire Saw franchise, right? Is it's so this is the liberalism to fascism pipeline as a series of horror movies. You know, like it, these are these are just all narratives about personal responsibility and oh, pull yourself up from your bootstraps next time you're you're siphoning off your own bone marrow to escape the beheading machine. Yeah. Oh, uh, you got you got suspended from the ceiling and blasted with ionized radiation until you broke your own limbs. Should have tried harder. And and like. Uh. I, I don't I don't know like like the, the the whole logic of Jigsaw like is is so paper thin, you know like like it, it's it's legitimately unsettling that people find these movies a serious contemplation on philosophy, right? Because like a, after after the young woman gets gets her face literally barbecued with radiation, right, and she's lying on the ground like heaving and dying, and Jigsaw's like we can take her to a hospital and she'll be okay. <laughs> And I'm like, you're a man dying of brain cancer. Shouldn't you know something about the dangers of radiation? Yeah, shouldn't like, you know something about the limitations of medical treatment? Right? You 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 just you just flew to Mexico City to have Dr. Nick cut your head off and put a better one on. Like, I think you would have an understanding here. You can't just like she's gonna need a skin graft for her face. This is a permanent disfigurement on top of like God knows what kind of risks. Like her eyes are toast, like. And Jigsaw's like, oh no! Now she's now she's learned a very important lesson about um, the rich white woman came into town and offered her an unsettling amount of money to like work as as like the greet her at her weird mansion, you know, like so of course she's a sworn in diehard to this scam that that like, and there's this movie doesn't interrogate that stuff in the slightest. Is this just? Oh, I'm sorry, this movie's just like it's so frustratingly colonialist and racist. Ugh. Yes, yes, in a way that actually then should we there are two final points i think we should talk about one is the the role of money in this film and particularly Mm -hmm. medical debt because once again right uh so god uh i i've written about these films i've talked about them in in the in the context of what i call this like cultural necroneoliberalism um, and the structuring idea of the neoliberal economy is that of debt, the fire economy, right? Finance, insurance, uh, yeah. real estate. Um, and it's the servicing and perpetuation and extraction of debt, which is the way in which the American economy functions. The American economy is not kind of productive in the Marxist sense of the term anymore. Not really. Um, what it's about is about rent extraction and debt payments. You know, that's why everything costs so much. Um because you don't really buy anything anymore. You just simply rent it for a while. And so medical debt is basically the literalization of that, that taken to the very kind of um, the core of human ontology 
it is it is the it is the literalizing and the concretizing of can you afford to stay alive and really a way to think about this the, these films is not that oh you didn't want to live enough it's that you just simply weren't we couldn't get enough out of you to make you stay alive right you your rent payments were insufficient I, I, and that is so the the heart and core of of these movies too any 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 final th- do you want to talk about what happens to carlos yeah we get we got to close this thing by talking about i think the first kid who gets saw trapped yep the first kid who gets saw trapped um or explicitly so because there is a cut there's a kid who gets abducted in saw three and both mm-hmm. of the both of their parents get murdered how do you remember this stuff I, I'll, I'll every single halloween movie is engraved in my brain start to finish all of the saw movies i i watch these things and then like 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 a brittle old serial killer dying of an inoperable brain cancer it's just fading out of my mind uh i've got a big i've got a big cork board behind me uh, <laughs> there's loads a red, of red string. string on it <laughs> yeah let's talk about carlos let's talk about so, the importance of duolingo yeah like if you're gonna go on holiday maybe pick up a phrase book right at the very least so <laughs> it's maybe the silliest trap in the whole thing uh, because it's like all the others, you kind of go, all right, I get that you could jerry-rig this from the stuff that you might find in an old factory or industrial warehouse. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Uh, where did all that blood come from? <laughs> <laughs> where, this is, again, speaking to the core the silliness with what happens in the second half of this movie and just how wacky it becomes but like that's a lot of blood did he go to like a carnicia and and ask for like all the blood that they had a bunch of different times like i don't really know <laughs> were, were, were there any questions about the like frail old white man and his random assistant buying all the blood in mexico city did that not like make anybody puzzled Pu- puzzled <laughs> it's 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 very strange. It's very strange. I don't understand. Uh, so what happens is our evil Scandinavian ice queen, who is doing the world's most elaborate medical fraud, um, hands an assistant and they get the drop on John and Amanda and they put John into a trap, um, which is essentially that, that um, seesaw-esque trap from... Saw 3D, you know, the one with the pink blood. Um, and, like, you have to seesaw and you get, like, loads of blood poured into your face. Uh, as the film puts it, you're not being waterboarded, you're being bloodboarded. <laughs> Which That's, sounds like the world's worst... Thing. Yeah, it sounds like the world's worst sequel to Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 and again, to, to evoke waterboarding... Right, south of the United States border, while using yellow filters so heavily, while 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 levying untold amounts of violence on on the bodies of Mexican people, did this movie is either written, conceived, and designed by people who have lived in some kind of isolated chamber and have been unaware of politics since the 1700s, or like I don't know, it's just so like I, like I was seeing like the bloodboarding thing, and I was like. Uh, usually I'm on board for like what I could describe as a cartoonish amount of blood in my horror movies, but this was just like, like kind of rubbing it in your face. 
Yeah, and so the whole point is there's there's a lever that that tips the seesaw. You have two people chained to to it, facing upwards. If you are at the bottom of the seesaw, you're getting bloodboarded. If you pull the lever, you put the other person into it. Um, and John is strapped in there with Carlos, who is a little boy, who is the son of the a building custodian and loves football. Um, and uh, Carlos willingly puts himself into danger, willingly bloodboards himself, literally baptizes himself in blood for the sake of John Kramer. You're completely right earlier when you said that there's like a religious undertone to a lot of this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. John, descri- John describes it as a rebirth, or you might call it like a resurrection. And it's so odd that these characters who have done nothing more than share a very brief scene where John repairs a bicycle and they can speak literally one word to each other. This is supposed to be the kind of emotional core of the film. We're supposed to somehow believe that like, so the way this, the, the, the bloods, the bloodboarding seesaw works is that one, one person has to die of the bloodboarding by but you have a lever that pulls you back down into the bloodboarding. Right. And, and so, so John Kramer is like, like no, no pull lever, right. To, to the little Mexican boy, which again, we're, we're kind of icing the racism cake that is saw, saw twitter.com. Elon Musk's saw. Yeah. Saw X, formerly Twitter. <laughs> formerly, formerly Twitter. Um, but like, and then for some reason, this little boy is like, oh no, I'm going to die in a way. I'm going to die in this unspeakable nightmare to save this old white guy who fixed my bike tire. Yeah, but it's fine because at the end we walk out into the sun, into the yellow sun, holding, giving, giving this tiny, traumatized, blood-soaked child eight million US dollars. And he's not even like trying. He's like, he's like okay. He's like doing all right. So, so the one, the worst line, uh, unfortunately, is delivered by Tobin Bell in this movie. And after after they escape the blood boarding machine. Because this little boy keeps trying to sacrifice himself and that buys them enough time to get free. Tobin Bell looks at Carlos and he says, you are a warrior. And and I'm just like, I don't know why that line was written. That is not something that Jigsaw would say. That is not a Jigsaw thing to say to this boy. Right? Like Jigsaw should have have said something like half-baked and philosophical. Jigsaw should have been like, like, you were never meant to be tested, but you proved yourself worthy of a new life. Here's $8 million. Right? It, sh- it should have been something like that, right? <laughs> Some hack crap that Jigsaw says after everybody who lives. You know, like, oh, they escaped because you found the desire to go back to work at Target on Monday. Like, uh, and, th- and then so, like, it's, it's this, we- it's so fetishistic and it's so aggrandizing like this, this little boy has now been knighted somehow by Jigsaw, has been elevated yeah, in, above his inducted. worth. Inducted, just like Diego, just like Diego, who is driving the cab and is now yep. like mostly armless. Like you have now become a disciple. You've now been inducted into the violence of American necrotic neoliberalism. You will now exert the same sovereign biopolitical agency on others through the violence of like blood extraction as their rent to stay alive. Well done, kid. Here is your bounty of eight million dollars. This this movie just it starts off as one of the most promising, interesting, honestly beautiful things that the, that it could uh, 
a Saw movie could have been. And it ends with this like colonial, patriarchal, like just just willing ignorance of the world in which we find ourselves. We're we're gonna we're gonna get a Saw movie where John Kramer kills people who don't like use paper straws. <laughs> And it's 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 going to be set. No, it's it's okay. Wait, wait. The vision, the visions are that they're taking over my body. It's it's going to be set in like one of those like African computer part graveyards where the West just dumps all of its old useless technology under the guise of donations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or, or like the H and M clothing pit in the Atacama Desert. It's going to be set there, and like and like Jigsaw is going to kill just a bunch of like Chilean peasants for not yeah, it's recycling. Gonna be set. It's going to be set in like a shine clothing uh, factory where you have like <laughs> workers making making jumpsuits for 30 cents an hour. You must sew your hand into this garment because you failed to produce 50 pieces of clothing in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> you skipped a shift to go and see your, your mother who's dying of lung fibrosis. Now, <laughs> breathe in this asbestos. <laughs> It's just like because that's who John Kramer is at his core. He's just he's just an aggrieved, wealthy white man who who is who is upset that like he can't he he needs a blood. Oh my God, Carlos is going to be his. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! That's that's the that's the end of this movie because John Kramer is is like a Peter Thiel. He's like these rich guys who need a blood boy, and Carlos oh is literally God, his right. blood boy. You're right, because isn't that the dream? That's the that's the neoliberal dream, right? To never die, to even to even when you've died, to always be returning, to be m- immortal, to be immortal, and you do it through extracting the, the 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 blood from those who are beneath you. And, th- and we've discussed this before too. Like, what, what what's the one thing that the ultra rich can't actually meaningfully have, and that's an escape from death. Yeah, I, every every single thing they do, it, it's not actually going to get you out of death, and even like. You know, we, we, we can look at, like, other other ultra-rich attempts at escaping the finality of human existence, right? Like, the, the Rockefellers of the world naming everything after themselves. Your, your, name, your name becomes a floating signifier. It becomes hollow. It's no longer attached to the memory of you. You know, like, like the Reaper mows eternal. You know, your evil deeds are, are no guarantee to live. And, like, here's John Kramer at the end of this movie knighting his blood boy. I this this is this is Elon Musk's saw. Yeah, this is. Uh, it, it's not really money in there. It's just Palantir stock. <laughs> that's, that's what he's given Carlos. <laughs> You're a warrior. Please accept my jig coin. <laughs> oh, stop it! There, we're not topping that. We hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.